Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Welcome, everyone. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. And welcome to our series in 1 John called A Short Assurance. Today's message is called a sure link. Very um, ungrammatical of me to spell it with a C rather than a K. A sure link. And link is an acronym and it stands for love in the name of Christ. Link, love in the name of Christ. And we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, verse 11 to 18. If you turn there, we're going to be coming back to our text in a moment. Now, John throughout this book <clears throat> presents us with three tests. And the first test is the theological test. That is, what do you believe theologically? What is it about God that you believe? And he's, and he's been testing us. The second thing is the moral test. And it's, it's not so much what you believe. It's, okay, on the basis of what you believe, how do you now behave? The third test that, that John puts us through as we go through this book is the social test. And it asks the question, to which group do you belong? If you like, John is taking us up a spiral staircase. And I say that because he keeps revisiting these issues throughout the book. And it's like, again, you ever watch like Grand Designs or, you know, them, them programs about buildings and renovations and a spiral staircase, right, makes its way up in a winding fashion. And if you like, when we began this book, we started going up a staircase and you're looking like, oh, wow, look. He's talking about the, 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 the theological issues. What do you believe in? You keep going up the steps and you look out again over the top of the steps and he begins to deal with the moral issue. You keep going up and then you look over again over the banister and there he is dealing with that third social issue and he just keeps coming back to them as he builds, if you like, to, to, as he builds his case. And John's purpose is to draw a clear distinction, as he does that, between two groups that exist on this planet. It's, and it's not a black and white group. It's not an, an old and a young group. It's not a rich and a poor group. It's a saved and an unsaved group. See, there are only two groups. There are only two categories. There are only two teams, if you like. And you're either in Team Jesus or you're in Team Adam. This world, bring it down like global, uh, like, like Google Maps, this world or, 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 or Europe, or you bring it down closer to like England, you bring it down closer to London, bring it down to Brockley, you're going to find two groups, you bring it down to Wickham Road, and then if you want to, if, if, if we could take the liberty to say that potentially you could, you could narrow it down to us in this room. Two groups of people. Two groups of people. Which group are you in? Which category do you belong to? Which team are you going hard for? Who's your manager? Who's your leader? Who's your governor? Who's your God? Well, that's the purpose of the three tests, to clearly identify the distinction between these two groups. And last week, we ended up at verse 10, looking, if you like, peeking over the banister at the moral test or the behavioral test. And First John chapter 3, verse 10 is where we ended. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. See the distinction? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Can you see that's the moral test in terms of behavior? See that? Then verse 10 goes on to say, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And the same verse introduces today's test, which is what? The social test. So with regard to our verses today, <clears throat> 
Consider this. Ooh. Consider this. Rumors about my man, Lamar. Kim and, and Khloe Kardashian, you know, there's a feud. I don't know if it's over. I know it's, I know it's fresh if it ain't over. I'm maybe not bang up to date. I didn't check. <laughs> I didn't check, you know what I'm saying, um, paparazzi website this morning before I left that. But I know that there's a feud going on. It's all over Lamar, which is what Khloe's husband, right? And Kim's saying, you know what, this ain't good. You need to, like, get rid of him. And it's because of his recent antics. And, he, and she thinks that they're casting a shadow over the Kardashian empire. Like, you know what? He's affecting our bottom line. Get rid of him. Family feud. I mean, if you know that my man's been in the, in the news recently. Again, it's all allegations because there ain't nothing, as, as far as I know, nothing's been proven at, at this point. But... Rumors about Will Smith and, and, and his family issues, right? His marriage. And, um, <clears throat> and then also, you probably haven't heard about this one, but in Tennessee, four days ago, this is in the Daily Mail, um, just four days ago, Charles Masters, who's 34 years old, the guy who's pictured there, he killed his younger brother, Jordan, who's 28, and he did so with a samurai sword. And apparently, he lied next to the body for four days in the hope that the body would come back to life again because he was so grieved at what he had done. Now, these guys are all in the spotlight. And it's easy to point the finger in their direction, right? Apart from what we see in terms of up-to-date life, how about in the Bible? We see Bare examples, loads of examples of family, like mad family drama. A few weeks back, we saw Abraham and Lot, right, in a contention. And then you probably know about Miriam and Aaron, who were brother and sister to who? Moses. And they had drama, remember, in Numbers chapter 12. And then how about Jacob and Esau, classic drama. Tutus, like... Jacob stole my man's birthright. Esau's coming for him, wants to kill him, right? He only gets enticed by some fandangles, by like riches and the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches just took him. He was like, all right, then cool, allow you. Drama in the family. And later on, we see Jacob's sons have drama, right? Sibling rivalry that nearly leads to Joseph's death. Drama up in the place with regards to the family in the Bible. Because the Bible is about real life, isn't it? And these guys, if you like, that I just mentioned, are in the biblical spotlight. And it's really easy to look at them and judge and to criticize, yet don't we see the same things reflected in our families? Would you read with me 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 to 18? For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that, the, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. <clears throat> that he, speaking of Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, whilst we're at the bottom of this proverbial staircase, or in the middle, because we're in chapter three, right? <clears throat> Before in chapter two, then John was speaking about the same issue, but with regards to fellowship. Remember that? 
Now the emphasis is related, yet shifted onto relationships. John is speaking to Christians about the way that they relate to other Christians. Verse 11, if you look at it with me. For this, for this is the message that you, believers, have heard from the beginning. It's like you knew about love because it was talked about way back in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. You're familiar with love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. For Deuteronomy 6. You're familiar with that. And you're, and you're because it's from the beginning, but also you're familiar with love that was taken to another level by the Lord Jesus when you became his disciples. When you were converted, you heard at least either directly or indirectly Jesus said that you must love one another. This ain't new to you. You've heard about this from the beginning that we should love one another. And, and why not? We as Christians, we, we all have the same dad. God is our father, right? I mean, we're all brothers and sisters. We're family, right? He's saying that Christians should have love one for another. I remember, I remember me and my brother when, <clears throat> years back, some of you may not know, I've got, got a junior brother, he's three years my junior, three, yeah, three, nearly four years my junior, his name's Richard, and when we were younger, <laughs> we used to play cricket, I used to live in Dulwich, you know, we're past the Pete managers the adventure playground in Dulwich, and um, just on Dockino Hill on the estate, I kind of pretty much grew up from, I was about eight from I come back to Jamaica until um, I was about 18, lived on Dockino Hill estate and it was wonderful. We'd come out and especially in the summertime we'd play run outs or some of you might know it as cannon where you build up the cannon, knock it down, you've got to run out. We'd play that like from, from, dusk till do, do, from dawn till dusk and it was wonderful and one day we're out there playing cricket and it, where the painted set of stumps and I'm, and I'm there batting. No, no, tell a lie. My brother was batting. I was bowling. So I'm bowling and I bowl and I, and he, and I bowl and he was out. Middle stump, he was out and he wouldn't come out. So I took the ball. But then I took the ball and I threw it and I lick him in his head. And it wasn't a real cricket ball. It was a pudding ball if you're not a pudding ball. And me and him had drama. But you know what the biggest drama was? One year, I, um, I got 20 pounds for my Christmas. And at the end of school, I don't know if you still, I suppose, yeah, you still do it nowadays. What am I talking about? Um, you, at the end of term, you'd go, you'd, you, when you go to school, you wouldn't, as you're breaking up, like going for Christmas or Easter, whatever, um, you'd watch a video and your teacher would just ease back a little bit and like you'd chill out and watch a, So I brought a video to school, a video that I'd watched and it was so heavy. It was, a, I remember that it was a film called Pixotti, or Pixot, old, old, long time film. And um, brought this film in and we watched this film and, Two twos, when the, when the film done, the film just went missing. Couldn't find the film. Cut a long story short, lost the video, innit? Them days, a video cost, a, like, it was like 50 pounds for a video. So I went back to the man, man it was an Indian man shop called P. I was like, P, he was bridging because he was right on that estate. P, I lost the video. He's like, what? You better find that 50 pound then. So I only had 20 pound Christmas money. So I thought, what am I going to do now? Anyway, again, tried to cut the long story short. I, um, <clears throat> I went to... I went out with my friends and I, and I went stealing. And um, I stole these Parker pens and started to try and sell them and shut them. And just to, because how am I gonna, how's Christmas gonna turn up? I ain't bought nobody no presents when I already got 20. You know, 20 pounds is a lot of money back in them days. I'm gonna no, no presents, so questions are gonna be asked, isn't it? So and I told my brother, I said, Rich, look, boy, this, was, this is what happened. And I said, look, I lost, I lost, the, I lost the, 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 the video and lost my money. And he said, so what are you going to do? I said, boy, I stole some pens. I'm going to shut them. I'm going to sell them. He's like, okay, listen. When I tell you, I couldn't make a move either to the left or to the right after that time. Because every time I did, my brother like, I'm going to tell dad about the pen. I'm going to tell them about the pen. And he had me at his mercy. He had me by the short and curlies. And trust me, this fit. So when I bowled the ball and I threw it in his head, he steamed off, gonna go upstairs and tell about the pen. I was like, oh my gosh. Anyway, I intercepted him. A year later, we catch up in a drama. And two twos. I'll tell a lie, that was the drama. That's right. I threw the ball in his head. He went upstairs and told on me. And um, I got a hiding. But here's the thing. After my stepdad, after my stepdad gave me the hiding, he said, Richard, he said, Robbie, where your brother Richard? 
He called him and he got a hiding too. Now, the moral of my story is, me and my brother, I was in Manchester just a couple of weeks ago, stayed over at my brother's. Me and my brother, as much as we had drama, we still love one another. We still love one another. Why? Because he's my brother, isn't it? What am I going to do? He's my brother. He's my blood brother. If you're in the same family, by virtue of being in that family, you ought to love one another. And Christians who have the same father ought to love one another. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 13? Verse 34 to 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Also, so you're supposed to love one another. And it would be a signpost to others, wouldn't it? Because verse 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And Jesus will go on to repeat this again twice in John chapter 15. Look at verse 11 of our text. It says, why, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. You know this, that we should love one another. Now, before telling them what it is, he tells them what it is not in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one. And see what team he plays for? He was of the evil one and he murdered his brother and why did he murder him because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous just have a quick look at that story in genesis 4 it says now adam knew eve his wife this is right at the beginning right i mean goodness me it didn't take long for the drama to set in adam knew his wife knew eve his wife and she conceived and bore cain saying i've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, yo, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Notice Cain's emotional state. He's angry. Verse seven. If you do well, says the Lord, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Question. Does Cain take God's advice. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Hmm. Sounds like an interesting start. Maybe there's potential. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. Now, I wonder what they discussed at this point. Well, it wasn't much of a discussion. Notice the beginning of verse 8. It seemed like Cain did all the talking, right? And what does James say that relates to this in situations like this he says yo be quick to what to listen be quick to hear I don't think Cain was taking that advice he says be quick to be quick to hear and be slow to do what Cain does be slow to speak and be slow to get what angry question do you find yourself getting angry do you find yourself always getting angry. I remember a couple weeks ago, I was in Lewisham, and I shouldn't have been. I don't know if any of you have seen the film The Incredibles. It's interesting because the dad's name is Robert, the wife's name is Helen, and then they got a daughter, and then they got a son, right? Very similar to my family, right? And I'm just like Robert, Mr. Incredible, in a bad sense. Because he's always going somewhere, he's like, he checks his watch, he's like, ah, oh gets a call, can you come and do this? He's like, mm, I'm not sure, I've got time. Yeah, I've got time. And he'll go and he'll mash up the whole thing in that he'll go and then he'll get to where he's got to get to late. So this is me in Lewisham at one point when I shouldn't have been there. I thought, yeah, 
just stop off and I just got, I had some shorts that I'd bought and it was too small. So I was going to change them over in Sports World over the back of near Matalan. So I'm there driving around the car park about to try and park my car and look, madness. Driving around, Matalan's here and I literally pull up in order to reverse into the space behind me. And so watch, so I go, I'm here, I, I go, I see the spot, I go here, and look, I'm in reverse. You can see my lights if you're behind me, and I'm reversing into the space. This brother tries to squeeze in between me where I'm, rev I'm reversing into that spot. He, not round me, in between the space that I'm trying to reverse into. Listen, I don't even know what happened, but I found myself outside my car, <laughs> looking at this brother, shouting and screaming. Oh, what, why, what started it? I was in my car, and I looked, and I'm thinking, this, I'm like, you're not serious. Because <laughs> he can't get through. It's impossible. So he's got to stop it. He's going to lick my car or mash up the next car. I'm, I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, you're not serious. And the brother, all I see is the brother going, I was like, safe. I jumped out my car. I, I come round the front of my car. Now ask, the, now, now, ask me, what am I going to do? Ask me. Jump out my car. I'm standing up, and he's giving it, and I'm giving it. And then all of a sudden, I can't even say it was like, <sighs> I breathed, or a verse of scripture came to my mind, or something just caused me to stop turn around and get back in my car. And I got back in the car like, <sighs> and he's still, where's he gonna go? He can't go nowhere, he's still there. And I took time, reversed my car, jump out my car, da da da, got my things and I went back my business. Now, I tell that story because, um, what, 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 did, what did I think I was doing? I mean, you know, even coming here, I came here with my, me and Jordan jumped in the car, um, um, the borrowed my friend's car and about three occasions just on the way here this afternoon the same thing in, in a sense could have happened at least once could have happened and, I mean, and I'm like Lord it's like this is not cool this is not good and as I, as, as I begin to as I was walking through you know like you're so heated you don't even know what you're doing sometimes and I was walking in the shop I forget what I was in there I'm like what am I doing in here again and I was like Lord sorry I thought, who? I wonder if people could have seen me out there badding up the man like. And, and you know, I, it's funny because I, I first told this story when I went to Shoreline a couple months back, and there was a brother there who's like, oh, thank you for sharing that story, man. Because he said the said same thing happened to me, but it was different. He jumped out of his car, but the brother weren't like the brother that I confronted. The brother jumped out of his car, started swinging, and punched my, my brethren in his face. He's a Christian punched him in his face and then went in the back of his car or whatever, drew out his tire to him and smashed the windscreen of, his, of my brethren's car. That it's like, you never know who you're jumping out. You're jumping out the car to do what, Robert? <clears throat> and I'm saying, it's like, yo... Do you find yourself getting angry? Do you find yourself always getting angry? I had to be honest, I, I found that I did. And, it's, and over the past three or four years, the Lord has just been exposing me, you know what I mean? And I've just been a brother who just gets angry at the, at the least, at the slightest thing. And now you, most of you wouldn't know it because I don't do it in here. I don't do it in church. <laughs> too slick for that, too smart, too sinful for that. But there's other areas where it comes out. And um, <clears throat> be quick to hear, slow to speak. You know, they say, you know what's in a tea bag when you begin to pour hot water on it? And in a situation sometimes that come are like difficult circumstances like the heat scorching us. And sometimes rather than bear fruit, we bear thorns, don't we? And the only way we can rectify that is by looking at the cross, by looking at Christ 
and asking for him to change us, to affect us, to, to do what we can't do for ourselves. And, um, and on the basis of Christ's deep work in our hearts and our lives, not just on the externals, because we can all play the game. God help us, God help me. The Lord is eventually able to bring fruit about in our lives. <clears throat> Remember, John is not telling us what, sorry, John is telling us what not to do. And he's writing to Christians. Cain's disobedience leads to resentment, leads to anger. And look at the end of verse eight. And when they were in the field, when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The word in the original means he butchered him. He didn't just bang him over the head and he fell and hit his head on a stone. No. He butchered him. He chopped him up. Such was his anger. And sometimes we'll do things in our our anger and we end up like the picture of Mr. Masters, James Masters that I showed you earlier, lying next to a dead body and thinking, oh my gosh, let me... Let me see if I can fix it back. Let me see if I, this situation I've broken, let me try and fix it back and, and there's no fixing it back. And the thing is, you know, let's not plaster over this because I know that's the temptation in my life. You know, a crack in the wall may be an indication of a, of a much more serious problem. You know, sometimes you see a crack in your house and you think, ah, oh, it's just a minor. It might. It might just be the, the surface plaster that's cracked. But sometimes if you see some big cracks, I remember Mark was telling me about some cracks that he saw one time in a house and he said you could put a one pound coin through them. That's the time to pull the plaster back and check. And then if, there's, if there ain't nothing there, you're good. But sometimes there's a crack in the brickwork. You know what I'm saying? And the crack in the brickwork could indicate there's a problem with the foundation. And I mean, if you know, that's serious. So let's not plaster over. Yeah, I've got a bit of an anger issue. Yo. And you know, very often we can say, look, you know, I'm good, man. In this area of my life, I'm heavy. But then how about the other areas? I know I've experienced it myself personally. Where I've said, you know, I'm, I'm good in this area. I can't understand how, you know, man's is falling in this area. What, what's up with that? And then two twos, another area. Oh my gosh. And I just get, this man comes, this leg swipe me and I'm on the floor. And you think, raw, how did that happen? An unguarded strength can become a very serious weakness. And so may God help us to take heed. First Corinthians 10 says, Take heed that when you think you stand, that you don't end up falling. And let's not let's not plaster over this stuff. If you have an, ingl- an, an, an inclination to anger to the point where you begin to verbalize it, to the point where you begin to act on it, especially if you notice that it's something that happens often, something that you practice. Jesus says, "He who practices sin is a slave." to sin John says in this book in this very chapter from last week he who practices sin is of the devil and Paul says you know what in the light of something like that Paul says examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith because that's what it's supposed to do you're supposed to look at that and think wow I actually got some issues you know in my life and These look like a repetitive pattern. John's like, you need to check that. And you need to examine, actually, you might say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and yeah, I go to church, but yo, if you've got sin that is repetitive, someone came up to Pastor E and said, going through 1 John, I'm terrified. I don't think I've ever been through a book in my life as a Christian that has affected me and exposed me as much as First John. I think if any of us are seriously engaging in what's being taught, you know what I'm saying, over the past few weeks in this book, I'm sure you feel the same. 
unless you're not a Christian. I mean, if you're not a Christian, this stuff ain't gonna affect you. If you're not a Christian, you're not even interested in this stuff. I don't even, you might be sitting here thinking, I don't even know why I'm here really, looking at the lights and it's a lovely building. And, but this stuff that, that John is saying is probably not having any effect in your life. My challenge would be examine yourself because if you're not in the faith, why, what would be the point of being here? You know what I mean? And um, I tell you, I, I've been so challenged um, by not just the external stuff, just my, my heart as we've been going through this book. Cain is quick to get angry. He's quick to speak and he's slow to listen to Abel, his brother, who doesn't get a word in edgeways, I would deduce from the text. But more importantly, Cain's not listening. He's not listening to God. Inevitably, we have a double murder. Cain kills Abel, but only because sin pounced first and killed Cain. I heard someone talking about what we're talking about and referenced this character. You know, the films The Lord of the Rings. Now, would you believe, to to my shame, Tim will cuss me again. I've not watched The Lord of the Rings. Um... (laughs) I've not watched the Lord of the let alone the trilogy, let alone the prequel, which is The Hobbit. I ain't watched none of them. I just, it's been on, and I've walked in. You know when you just walk in the front of me, you've got your food or something, you look, and you might look at for five minutes and see something, and then you walk out. <clears throat> I'm aiming to watch all of them, especially now, because I heard someone talk about this character, Gollum. Gollum wasn't always called Gollum. He used to be called Smeagol. You know, back, in the, back in the day when me and Pastor E used to rap, I even wrote a lyric, one of them lyrics that, that lie down and never get used. I wrote this lyric, and it was, the, fle- the flesh is feeble, it's ugly and it's evil, it's double-minded like Smeagol. And I didn't even know who the brother was apart from <laughs> some cursory glance that made me, me, me sound like I was well-readder. Smeagol was presented with the same scenario that Cain was. <clears throat> and, and Smeagol, in one of the films, ended up killing someone, a guy called Deagle, if I pronounce, it, is pronounce his name right. He killed this guy. And um, Smeagol began to change. And he became Gollum because he got infected by the ring, apparently. Which made him contorted and twisted inside and outside. That is his heart, but then also his physical appearance. A human in like fashion, infected not by the ring, but infected by sin, becomes twisted on the inside and it will begin to show on the outside. So Cain commits murder. Now, watch him compound his sin with more sin. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, let's just go back. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? You know, the Lord asks these questions sometimes. Like, second time in like four chapters. Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? You hear his attitude. Watch his sin compound. He now tells a lie, doesn't he? Which is breaking the ninth commandment. You know, sin is like London buses. It always comes along in twos and threes. Some considerations. Notice Cain isn't an atheist. He isn't an unbeliever. Cain's having a conversation with God. (laughs) Cain outwardly, Cain outwardly believed in God. He seemed to have faith, but he wouldn't repent. He was a hearer and not a doer. Matthew chapter 7, James chapter 1. He acted spiritual. He offered a sacrifice to God, which is worship. He's here talking, like I said, to God, which is what? It's prayer. 
It's very spiritual, but it's not godly. Imagine the first murder in the Bible was committed in a church-type context. First murder committed in a context of worship. They talk about black-on-black crime. This is brother-on-brother crime. Cain acted spiritual, but it was all show. It was all show, show. He confessed with his lips, but his heart was far from God. And this was revealed in the context of community, in the context of family. How many of you know your relationship with God is personal, but it's not private? I think that I'd be a great Christian (laughs) if it was just me and Jesus. But how many of you know that's not true? I'm deceived if I think that. So God brings others into my life to show me that that's not true. And it's people I wouldn't necessarily choose. I wouldn't choose half of you to be my friend. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And you know what? I'm sure the same is true for you in regard to me. Most of you ain't going to try to be friends with me necessarily. It's hyper. Hyperbole, right? Cain and Abel, how many of you know they didn't choose each other? They were born into the same family. But you know what? Even though they didn't choose each other, they chose how to relate to each other. And the sad fact is that they were blood brothers, but they were spiritual strangers. Representatives from different teams. Now, It's unusual when Christians act like Cain. It's unusual when Christians act like Cain. And as I've mentioned, we need to address that. But it's not unusual for non-believers to act in this fashion and specifically hating Christians. Cain was a murderer, it says twice in verse 12. He was a chip off the old block. He was, just like his spiritual father, the devil, And God wasn't so concerned. You know, you hear a lot of arguments about, what was it? Was it because of the sacrifice? He should have brought a blood sacrifice. That's what it was. He brought brought stuff from the field. That's what he shouldn't have done. He should have brought a lamb and blood. And I don't know really personally if that was really the issue. Because I think that God wasn't so concerned about the externals. It wasn't animals versus crops. The issue was the heart. See, and what, what Cain does is out of an act of envy... Just like the Pharisees who ended up butchering Christ like Cain did his brother. In John chapter 8 verse 44. Jesus speaking to the religious leaders who externally seem quite spiritual. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and frankly you know this speaks of all of us in this room at a certain point in our lives no one is born a child of God you become one through conversion by being born again see the answer isn't just become a better person the answer is Become a brand new person. We need to come out of the devil's team and join Jesus United. Second Corinthians 5.17 says it, doesn't it? It says, therefore, look, if anyone is in Christ, if, if anyone is in Christ's team, he is a, is a new creation, new creature, new King James, old King James. He's a new creature, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See the distinction? See, have you experienced the new birth? Well, if you haven't, how many of you know there's hope for Gollum? There's hope for the sinner, which so many of us can understand and concur with. Thank you, Jesus. John says here, to genuine team players, to genuine Christians. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates. But it's not just that they hate, it's that they hate who? You. 
as a believer, as a Christian. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. I mean, could you get more stark a category distinction? We've, we know that we've passed out of death into life, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. A substantial change has taken place. And how is that evidenced? End of verse 14, because we love the brothers. Question, do you always love Christians? Don't answer that. <laughs> I don't always, <laughs> I know I don't always love my brothers and sisters in Christ. But again, let's be warned, there's a difference between a one-off act to that which is permanent practice. If it's a one-off act, fix it, repent. But if we're noticing a consistent pattern in the connected chain of our Christian community, I can easily become the weakest link. And the Lord will do an Anne Robinson on me, innit? Robert, on the basis of a lack of love for your Christian brother, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Scary, right? So don't stay in that place. We need to change and keep on changing. That's sanctification. And when we do change, it proves that we are genuinely walking in the light and life. The second part of verse 14 says, whoever does not love abides in death. Scary. In chapter two of this book, whilst at the bottom of the staircase, we saw that it was a matter of light and darkness. Now here in chapter three, higher up the the staircase, it's a matter of life and death. Light is synonymous with, with life and darkness is synonymous with death. They both describe the individual who has either passed or failed the test. With God's people, we want to see a strong link, L-I-N-C, an acronym for love in the name of Christ. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Matthew 5, verse 20 to 22, says the one who hates his brother in his fashion is guilty before God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 describes this type of anger as sinful, punishable by non-entrance into the kingdom of God. Revelation 22, 15 says murderers will not inherit eternal life. And Jesus says if you hate your brother, it's not cool because we know where hate can lead. We know where anger can and lead. Sometimes it just lacks opportunity. Okay, verse 11 to 15 is how not to do it. Verse 16 begins to show us the better way. Verse 16, by this we know love. By this we know love. Here comes the grand example that he, speaking of Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Wow, that's taking that love thing to some next level. Three things, Jesus defines love, Jesus demonstrates love, and Jesus demands love. He defines it, demonstrates, and demands it. First of all, Jesus defines love. In Romans 5, it says, this is so beautiful, so, so wonderful, for while we were still weak, how many of you are weak? You know what I'm saying? How many know your weakness? How many know you were you? While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Thank you, Lord. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So verse six shows us that love is defined right there. How are you gonna love someone who, you know what I'm saying, is, is unlovable, but Jesus did it, and he defined what real love is. It's unconditional, isn't it? You, maybe for someone who's good, you might, maybe, maybe, you will give some blood. But to lay down your life? 
Even for someone who's good, who's going to try and do that? Let alone someone who's evil. But that's what Jesus, and he defines love. Second thing is Jesus demonstrates love. Verse 8 says, but God shows, other translations say, demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He brought us on his team. That's good news, right? Because of what Jesus did on the cross. In the, 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 the righteous for the unrighteous, the, the godly for the ungodly. That exchange was made at the cross for us in order that we might be forgiven. That's good news right there. That's good news. And for Jesus now on the back of that demands love. We saw that in verse 16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. We ought therefore to lay down our lives for the brothers. He demands that we do that. Jesus died. He loved his enemies. Honestly, what can you say in contradiction to that? I mean, I look at all these other religions and I'm like, yo, none of them, none of them comes even close to beginning to articulate what I see Jesus do at the cross. None of them. None of them. Have you ever seen a love like this before? If you understand the cross. That's why we can rightly say we want to be linked. We want to love in the name of Christ. This is absolutely the epitome of love and I challenge you to find a greater love, a greater quality of love anywhere. When you do, come tell me. Come and talk to me. Jesus defines, he demonstrates, and then he demands love. I've got a quote here. I wanted to put his picture up, but I forgot. A quote from Vodibokum. He says, the biblical definition of love is that, and I got this from my sister. Where is she? Marseille. Yeah, big up. Did you take it to community group that Thursday? They lost out. They missed out. She blessed us Wednesday night at South Norwood. Um, She said, quoting Vodi, the biblical definition of love is that love is an act of the will. That means it's a choice. Accompanied, not led by emotion. Right? That leads to action. That means it's, it's proved by its external evident efforts on behalf of its object. The biblical definition of love is that love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. You know, Sister Diane, oh my goodness, and Brother Michael, this is the kind of love that he showed, isn't it? This is the type of love that a man shows to a woman when he determines to marry her. Amen? And Brother Courtney, this is, this is, when man's prepared to, this is, the, this, this is, ladies, look at the definition of love, please. Please. Only so that you will understand what it is when you see it. And you see, this is, this, this, we see this epitomized in the Lord Jesus. Jesus didn't just love by telling us verbally, but died for us literally. And John wants to see the same response. He demands that from us. And then verse 17 and 18, we see um, a really clear and simple application. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
See, may God help us to love to the point where it spills out into the lives of others on a level in a real sense. May God help us to be like Christ and not Cain. Next week we'll see how to do this by the power of the Spirit because we ain't got the power in ourselves to do it. Um, Can I invite the, the band to come and join me? And as they're coming up, can I ask you just to take a minute before you move apart from the band, can I ask you just to, just to close your eyes and just think about this for a moment. God calls us into a vertical relationship. And by virtue of that vertical relationship, he also calls us into a horizontal relationship with others. can't be in relationship with God and not be in relationship with others and to return to our acronym we need a sure link we need a we need a connection a relationship with God that only comes through Christ we need a connection a relationship with the church our brothers and sisters and we need a connection to the community That is our immediate family members who may or may not be Christians. That's a connection with our neighbors, with our work colleagues, a connection with our enemies. Sure link. Can I ask you just to take a minute to think about that? Sure link with God that comes through Christ, a sure link with the church, your brothers and sisters. Is there someone that you need to speak to today? And let's pray. Dear Lord, through this book, we have seen that you are faithful and just, that you're light and that you're love. Lord, thank you for the opportunity the opportunity to be linked to you through Christ Jesus, our Lord, who, who reconciles us to you, Father, in spite of our sinfulness. Thank you for the opportunity to be linked to the church, to our brothers and sisters, Lord. We never chose one another, but you did. You chose us and you chose, you chose me and you chose them. Father, help us like a family to say, okay, well, that is what it is, and I'm going to love my brothers and my sisters. What a privilege, Lord. Help us to do that, and help us, Lord, to, to be linked to our community, to reach out to our community, Lord. Help us to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple and effective, Lord, in our outreach to others. For Jesus' sake, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.